Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. As you do, one thing I forgot to mention um, earlier, we, we have our church council that meets at 4 o'clock this afternoon, and then we will still gather in here tonight at 6, so, so I would invite you to come pray, unless you love football more than you love Jesus. Um, I, I'm just kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. Unless you're a Patriots fan, in which case you need Jesus and counseling, and uh, no, no, we will, if, so we will be here at 6 o'clock, all right, so if you would like to come pray, please, please come join us. At, at six o'clock, right in here. Um, if if not, enjoy the game. I, I will. I promise I will be keeping up with with the score. Um, I just I, I I can't stand either one of these teams. So the, the Super Bowl is dead to me because pitchers and catchers report in about two weeks. Okay, so that that's when that's when things get serious around my house. Um, and also the Cowboys aren't in it, so I don't care. Um, so. <laughs> Hey, so, so this morning, we are stepping into the last chapter of 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. Um, it's been several months, and then of course we took uh, November and, and December off to, to walk through Advent, um, but we're now just, just a couple of weeks away from wrapping up in 1 John, then we're going to go spend three or four weeks walking through Hosea, which is a book I've never preached before. Our Sunday school class is walking through it right now, and it will be an experience. To, if you know anything about the book of Hosea, it's going to be an experience to walk through that in here. I, I'm super excited. I've never really preached through one of the prophets before, uh, so this is going to be a lot of fun. But we learned something about God's deep grace and mercy and love for us through the, the story of Hosea. But this morning we step into uh, 1 John chapter 5, where, where he's going to kind of begin wrapping up um, everything that he's said to this point. So, so he's talked extensively, as we covered last week, about our love for God and our love for other people. And, and he ties this into our relationship with God. In other words, the, the way that we live affects our relationship with God. The way we interact with other people affects our relationship with God. With God, And we've looked at this, these two primary characteristics that, that John's talked about throughout the letter. That God is light, that he's holy, that he's pure, that he cannot tolerate sin. And then his love for us. We've talked about how, how those two things interact and how we need to balance our understanding of God's character in those two things. Not, not to go off and see this, this loveless, um, holy, pure God whom no one can uh, approach. And also to avoid the other extreme of just seeing God as this wishy-washy kind of, you know, uh, guy who rubber stamps your life however you want to live and says, you know, two thumbs up, good job, you go live your best life now and, and I'll be here for you. And um, so that we want to balance those two things. This morning we're going we're to look at how these two things interact, our love for God and our obedience to God. And so we're going to be in, in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So if you will, let's stand and let's read the word of the Lord together. John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children when we love God and obey his commands. 
For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to open up your word. And and I pray this morning you'll open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see how our love for you carries out into our actions, into obedience to to the commands that you've given us, to the things that you've called us to do. May we serve not out of compulsion, not not out of a sense of feeling like we have to earn your approval, but out of the great love that we've already experienced, the great love that you have for us. Show us how to do that through your word this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. I used to feel bad about making you stand up and sit down so much until I watched the State of the Union address uh, earlier this week. And I thought, you know what? What we do here is not so bad. All right? Like, like I think they had to train. I mean, it's, so, some, of those, some of those senators and, and representatives, I think, had to, had to do months of training to be able to stand up and sit down that much. Man, that was intense. So, so I'm sorry. I know, I know we, we stand up and sit down, but, but you could be Catholic. It could be worse. So um, <laughs> this, this isn't quite so bad. Uh, Man, I'm, I'm all over the place this morning. I apologize. My goodness. So what I want us to see this morning, kind of this, this we have one overarching theme, and then, then we'll have two things that kind of explain it. And so this overarching theme that I want us to understand this morning is that we cannot separate our love for Christ from obedience to his commands. We, we can't separate our love for Christ from obedience to to his commands. In other words, you can't say, well, well, listen, I love God, but I'm going to live how I want. I, I, I love God. I think he's great. I, you know, Christ, he sent Christ to die for my sins. All that's awesome. But, but I'm not going to really pay any attention to, to what he's told me to do. I'm just going to live my own life. And I walked the aisle, I prayed a prayer, I was baptized when I was a kid, I'm in the club, and so now I'm going to live however I want. Um, You're walking on very dangerous, walking into very dangerous territory if you claim to live that way and claim to be a follower of Christ. Because the Bible's going to say you can't do those two things, because it says our, our love for God is played out in our actions. And if we're not seeking to glorify God in our actions, that says something about the love that we uh, claim to have for God. So, so if you try and say that, you've seriously misunderstood what it means to, to love God. And here's, here's why I say that. First of all, I want us to understand that our obedience is evidence of love. Our obedience to God is evidence of our love for God. So so right off the bat here, verse 1, John says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. So right off the bat, he he says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That's that's salvation. Coming to understand Jesus is the Son of God. He came to be our Savior. So, So if you want to be obedient to his commands, if you want to say that you have love for Christ, you have to know him. You have to be saved. One of Christ's first commands to, to the lost 
is to be born again. We see that in his interaction with Nicodemus, Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Where Nicodemus comes to him and he's, he's a seeker. He's kind of scared of the rest of the religious leaders. So, so the Bible says he comes to Jesus at night. And he just sits down and says, I got some questions. And the idea is, listen, I can't, I can't ask these openly, but, but I haven't ever seen anybody like you. So help me to understand exactly what it is that you're teaching. And Jesus says to this religious leader, this man who's devoted his life to knowing the scriptures and to teaching them to others. And Jesus' command isn't, isn't to, to, to do anything else except this. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now Nicodemus asked what probably we would all ask at that point. Jesus, my mama isn't going to be too happy with that news. That, that as a grown man, i got to be born again. And Jesus says, no, 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 I, you're missing what I'm saying. I'm talking about being born spiritually. You were born physically, but you've never been born spiritually. This is one of his commands to us. Be born again. If we're going to understand any of the rest of what, he's, what Christ is trying to tell us about who God is, about what it means to love him and to be loved by him, this is step one for us. And so let me just walk through the gospel, because I never want to make an assumption that anybody knows. And, and yeah, look, I know we usually do this at the end of the message, but here we're going to front load it with the gospel, okay, with, with the, just the plain gospel. So, so the gospel is this. In Genesis 1, in the beginning, God made the world and everything in it perfect. But Adam and Eve, our, our first parents, sinned, which means they turned away from God and they chose to go their own way. And the result of their sin, the result of their turning away from God, was brokenness that entered our world and in our lives. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, not just physical death, but eternal separation from God. Hopeless and helpless. However, the Bible goes on to say that Jesus came to earth, that he lived a perfect, sinless life, and he died the death that we deserved. But of course, that's not all, because three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death once for all. And now he offers us the free gift of salvation, this forgiveness of sins, and eternal life that begins today if you turn from sins and trust in Christ. Trust him to be our Lord, which just means boss means he gets to call the shots of my life and my Savior. And so if you've done this, then we're obedient. If you've accepted this gospel, then we're obedient to Christ because of his love for us. Not in order to gain salvation. If you haven't, understand this. You cannot earn your way back into God's presence. Life is not like just this cosmic scale of good things you've done versus bad things you've done. And, and as long as the, the scale balances out or, or weighs in toward, toward the good side, you're, you're all right. Because the Bible says all have sinned. God's so perfect and holy and righteous that you don't get a scale. You, you sin once and, and the scale eternally tips against you. That's it, the end. Christ took the sin, died the death that we deserve so that we could gain his righteousness and what is called the glorious exchange that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5. So, so we don't obey what 
Christ has done what Christ calls us to do. We don't obey commands in order to gain righteousness. We do it because we've been granted righteousness. We don't do it to earn salvation. We, we do it because we've been given the gift of salvation. We want our lives to match experientially what we already have in reality. All right, so, so what commands are we talking about then? Or how do, how do we do this? Christ uh, tells us this, John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Obedience is evidence of love. John, in, in verse 2, he says, This is how we know that we love God's children. So look here, it's not just our love for God, but it's our love for God's people as well. And how do we know that we love them? We obey his commands. For this is what love for God is. Keep his commands. Now, now look at the second half of verse 3. And his commands are not a burden. Have you ever come across anybody who would let you know in, in a heartbeat that they were a Christian, but they seem kind of mad about it? Like, they seem like they were missing out on something else of life. Um, you know, I mean, they're, they're, you know, neighbors are, meet the neighbors for the first time. Well, I'm a Christian. You ought to come to my church. We love each other so much. All right. No, man. His commands are not a burden. We, we serve out of love. Now, now imagine, so, 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 so often, uh, we're given this image in Scripture that, that Christ is, uh, has the church for his bride. So just imagine, okay, church, we, we as the body of Christ are, are, will one day be presented to Christ as his bride. Now imagine within a marriage, like, you know, you, you giving your, your wife or your husband a gift for their birthday, and they say, Thank you, this means so much. Well, I had to. Does that not diminish that gift just a little bit? Well, I've been married to you, so I guess I gotta, I guess I gotta buy you stuff. No, that's not the, that's, that's not the, the, the picture that we want to have in marriage. That's not the picture we want to have of our relationship with Christ. And so, so listen, I think the Western church particularly is guilty of the sin of making a relationship with Christ look cold and boring and almost like we're in some sort of indentured servitude to Christ. Listen, this is a joyous, happy, extravagant relationship we get to take part in. It's not a burden, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. Okay, then, so, so what are his commands? So if these commands are not a burden, what are his commands? We've looked extensively at the great command in Matthew chapter 22 throughout this series. And you're probably going to hear it once or twice again before we're done. Matthew 22. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What, what does it look like to, to, to love God? What are these commands? What, what are all these commands I'm supposed to keep? And, and if, I, if I mess up, do I blow the whole thing? And, and Jesus says, love God and love other people. Do, do you understand what he did when he made those two sentences? He said he summed up the entire law and the prophets. He summed up the entire Old Testament in two sentences. Love God, love other people. The clearest place we have, of course, in the Old Testament of commands explicitly given to us is in Exodus chapter 20 with the Ten Commandments. And even those, Jesus summed up in two statements because the first four commands address our vertical relationship with God. And so the, the Ten Commandments show us how we express our love for God by, by not having by not having any other gods, not, not having anything else in our life that we bow down to and worship, not, not making an, an image for ourselves, and saying, well, this is, this is my God. This is the thing I'm going to serve. By giving God's name the reverence that it deserves. Remembering the Sabbath, keeping it holy, remembering his place in our life, taking a day to rest and reflect on the blessings that God's given us and to worship him for the things that he's given us. And then, then the last six commands deal with our horizontal relationships with other people. So in other words, if I love God and I love other people, I'm not going to murder them. Okay? Generally speaking, that's, that's how it works, right? If I love you, I'm not going to kill you. Um, not going to steal from you. I'm not going to look at the stuff that you have, and maybe I'm not going to write out murder you, but, but I might start wishing that you were dead so I could have your stuff. Generally, I'm not going to do that for people that I love. Not going to commit adultery. If we love God rightly and we love other people rightly, we won't do these things. So it's not a checklist of, well, hey, I didn't murder anyone today. I'm doing pretty good. Propping myself up in my own self-righteousness for how good I'm doing. But rather, it's the barometers of our love for God. How we love him and how we love other people. See, if we, if we begin to see these, these Ten Commandments or, or the laws in the Old Testament, when we read them as, as some sort of supernatural checklist that we've got to make sure we cross every T and dot every I, th those commands will become a burden for us. Because we'll begin to think that maybe God's holding out on us. Like there's, there's some fun to be had in the universe that he doesn't want us to experience. And that's why he's told us all these thou shalt not things. But instead, we serve, we're called to serve him with love and with joy. In fact, in Hebrews 12, 2, this is what the Bible says about Jesus. It says that for the joy set before him, he bore the weight of our salvation. And it was a joy. Why? Because he knew that he was restoring our relationship with God. He was fulfilling the purpose that he came to earth. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame. It wasn't a joyless obedience, even as he was marching to his death 
for our sake. Our lives then should be marked by this joy in following him, joy in knowing him, joy in knowing that our lives are secure in him. That regardless of what happens, whether the stock market tanks tomorrow or continues to grow, my security is not there. My security is in Christ. Joy in this forgiveness and this grace and this mercy and joy in the freedom to obey his commands. So that's the first thing. Obedience gives evidence of love. But, but that's not all. The, the second thing I want us to understand this morning is that love empowers the obedience of faith. Love empowers the obedience of faith. Now look with me at verses 4 and 5. It says, because everyone who's been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Verse 5, who is the one who conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? See, people of God, our, our conquering the world it isn't found with a sword. It's not found in getting the right leaders in the right offices so that we can wield some kind of evangelical superpower. Our, our, our victory, our power is found when we place our faith in Christ. There's an interesting phrase that, that Paul uses in the book of Romans, and he uses it twice. He uses it at the beginning in chapter 1 and at the very end in chapter 16. And, and it's this, this little phrase, the, the obedience of faith. So in, in 1.5, he says, through, whom we have, through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles. And then in, at the end of the letter, he's talking about this faith that, that's, that's now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. Now, that's an interesting way to, to frame this, especially this letter where Paul gives a more full explanation than in any of his other letters about what it means to have faith in Christ. And he bookends that letter using this phrase, the obedience of faith. And, and I think all he's trying to get at there is what James explains in his letter. That, that we're saved by faith that is alone. We're saved by faith alone. Let me clarify. We are saved by faith alone but not by faith that is alone. See, James' whole point is that if we have real, true, saving faith, that's going to be accompanied by actions of obedience. In fact, he says, faith without works is what? Dead. It's no use. Rich Mullins, a great songwriter in the 1990s who, who was killed in a car accident in 97, um, he put it this way in a song that, that's fun. He says, he says uh, faith without works is like a screen door on a submarine. Now just think about how effective that is for a minute, right? It's, it's, it's no use. It's not going to serve the purpose it was meant to serve. Because real faith has to have hands 
and feet that are working itself out in good works. Well, you may say, you look at your life and, and well, I, I don't have much faith. Have you noticed the way we talk about people? We talk about people, being people of great faith. Oh, they had a lot of faith. And then, then when, we, when we hear people described like that, maybe you look at your own life and you're like, I, I don't have a lot of faith. Now consider what Jesus said, that even if we had faith the size of a mustard seed, a little bit imperceptible. If I had a mustard seed up here, you wouldn't be able to see it. I don't, but, but, but I'm just saying if I did, you, you wouldn't be able to see it. It's that small. So it's not the amount of faith that you have that makes the difference. It's the object of that faith. So you take whatever faith you have and place that in Jesus Christ. And work that out through obedience, through being in His Word, through spending time in prayer, and see what He does with that little speck of faith that you have. But, but here's the thing about it. This faith isn't just a one-time thing. It's not just a, well, I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, I hopped in the baptism tank, I'm set. That's not the way it works. In fact, if that's the depth of your testimony, I would love to visit with you a little bit to, to make sure that, that, that you're not basing your salvation experience on, on something that happened a long time ago. Because the, the whole idea in, um, in, in verse 5, when it says, who's the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. See, in, in, in the Greek, that word believes is in the present tense. So, so it's a continuous action of believing. Now, now, now look, one of the key beliefs that, that we have as Baptists, particularly as Southern Baptists, is what we call the perseverance of the saints. Uh, in, in layman's terms, that's called once saved, always saved. I was saved by Almighty God, and I'm secure in Him. To which I would say, absolutely, yes, amen. But if you can't see ways that you're still trusting in Christ, that, that you're still following Christ, that your heart and your mind is being changed and molded by the Word of God, then, then you need to re-examine that salvation experience. Because if the depth of your testimony is, well, when I was a child, I asked Jesus into my heart, and I'm I was baptized, but there's been no growth in my life since then, we need to have a serious conversation. Because the testimony of, of the, the believer who's saved and secure in Christ Jesus is this. Listen, there was a moment, for me, that moment was when I was six years old. I, I walked the aisle and prayed the prayer at a royal ambassador track meet. I was baptized in my home church a couple of weeks ago. So, so I look back on that and I say, that's the moment I was saved. But listen, I look at my life today and I am still 
being saved. He's not done with me yet. He's still working, chipping away things in my life that don't need to be there. It's what we call that process of sanctification. Becoming more and more like the image of Jesus. But listen, I also have the confidence where I can look and say, okay, I was saved. I am being saved. Hallelujah, praise God. One day I will be saved finally and completely. That's the testimony of a believer who's safe and secure in Christ. I was saved. if, if, If I'd been hit by a bus at seven years old, there's no question in my mind where I would be. I would be in the presence of God but he's not done with me yet. He's still working on me. How is Christ still working on you? Because the victory that we have in this life isn't found in your bank account. It's not found in your title. It's not found in whatever degrees you have or don't have at the end of your name. Our victory is found in our faith in Christ Jesus, just as we sing a few minutes ago. Now, Sarah didn't know this, but, but I put some of the lyrics to Faith is the Victory in my message, and then I show up this morning and, and, and flipping through the songs, and, and Faith is the Victory is there, and I'm like, did I put that on the PowerPoint? Like, did she know that? No. So listen to these words that, that we sing again. Encamped along the hills of light, you Christian soldiers rise. And press the battle, ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against the foe in veils below, let all our strength be hurled. Faith is the victory we know that overcomes the world. So just think about that image real quick of a a battle scene. And him saying, listen, this, this foe that we face is real and he's strong. And it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of hope. But faith is the victory that overcomes the world. How is your faith in Christ being lived out in obedience to his commands? How is your love for God being evidenced in your life? And how how is it showing to those around you? Like I said earlier, as as a church, there's going to be a lot of things that that we're not going to be able to do. But we can love one another well. We can love one another. We can love our community well. And that love for God and love for others fuels us to walk in faith. So maybe you're here and you'd say, you know, I'm, I'm, I need to visit about that, that first step of faith, about um, trusting in Christ, turning from sin and trusting in Christ for the first time. And maybe you just have some questions about, uh, about your, your own salvation experience and you'd like me to pray with you and visit with you. I'd love to set up a time where we could do that, where we could take some time and, and walk through your testimony. Maybe you're just here and you say, I know I'm saved, there's no question about that, but, but my obedience has been lacking. 
And so maybe today you'd say, I need to, I need to come back. I need to uh, continue believing, continue turning from sin and trusting in Christ. Letting him shape me and mold me into the person he wants me to be. However the Lord is speaking to your heart, when we stand and sing here in just a moment, you come. Chuck will be on your left side. I'll be on the right. We'd love to pray with you and visit with you and, and, and encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you first and foremost for, for your sending Christ Jesus to be the sacrifice on our behalf, to die the death that we deserved so that we could live freely in your presence. And I pray that our, that our testimony wouldn't simply be, well, I, I trusted in Christ back there, but that it would be, here's how I'm still trusting in Christ. Here's how he's still working on my life and on my heart. Here's how I'm continually turning from sin and trusting in Christ. If there's anyone in the room, Father, this morning who's never taken that first step and turned from sin, trusted in Christ for the very first time, may today be the day that they say yes to your offer, your free gift of salvation. For those of us who need to do hard work examining our lives and asking where, where we're chasing after idols that we've made, where we're trusting in things other than, than you. Would you reveal those to us? Give us the faith to trust in you in every area of our life. We thank you so much for the privilege of knowing and serving you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.